Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction, action on the silver screen. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to the Action Addicts Podcast, and I'm your host, Scott Wiley. And we are having a bonus episode! Woo! I know, I know. It's taken a while. And also, hello, if this is your first time here, this is a bonus episode. This is not what our usual content is about. However, it is my hope that there will be more like these to come. This is both a bonus episode and... A special one at that because this is a interview stroke conversation with and I'm definitely leaning more into the conversation with category as you will realize when you listen to the actual talk. My guest is the wonderful Kelly Polling. She is an actress stroke stunt woman and she has done quite a few projects to her name and she has a really large amount coming out that are all stuck in post-production or are waiting for the uh, <clears throat> COVID clouds to clear before they uh, make their way out into the wild. But she's got some uh, stuff out there in the wild that you can go and see her in, mostly as a stunt woman. And as you will hear very shortly, that is definitely where she finds the fun. She is an action junkie. She absolutely loves doing all things wild and crazy for not always the better. She's uh, certainly got some stories to tell, and we had an absolute blast chatting to one another not too long ago. Kelly is adorable, guys, and uh, she is just one of those people that you could spend a very long time talking to and both never get bored. She's one of those people that always has the ability to make you smile, regardless of what it is that she's saying. Um... We kind of bonded a little bit over some shared experiences. We go deep into what her skills were and her upbringing that prepared her for being a stunt woman. And then at the very end, we talk about a lot of the films that she's done are stuck. And as I say, they're going to be coming out very soon. One in particular, Peter 5A, I think is one to keep an eye on. And she teases a lot of stuff for the future that involves a lot of martial arts. So I think this is going to be some stuff to keep an eye on. And naturally... When it comes out, we will 100% be covering it in our normal episodes, or maybe I will do a bonus episode, depending on what the final content actually is. Now, as I say, this is more of a conversation with, so stick with it. This is like a nice little fireside chat where we both kind of share some things, and we just had a blast chatting to each other like old friends, even though this was the first time we'd ever met, so that was good fun. I think you'll enjoy listening to some of her stories, especially uh, uh, the unique one that she starts off with, because as I say a couple times in this, not many people can claim to have been on tour with Madonna. So it's a pretty good uh, high bar to start with, shall we say. <laughs> also, something I should probably address before we go over to, over to the interview is there is a point where we will be talking about Power Rangers. 
Uh, when I listened back to this, I realized that it sounds a tad confusing as to what we're talking about. So I thought I would clarify it now rather than at the end, just in case people don't listen right to the end. So Kelly was in a pilot that was filmed for Power Rangers. It is not the unaired pilot that some people might be familiar with that starred four of the five actors who would eventually go on to be in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, minus Tritran, because that role of Trini was played by Audrey Dubois. It is also not the other unaired pilot that was for Bioman that starred Mark Dacascos as Victor, which then was later changed to be Jason. There is another, another, another unaired pilot of which Kelly was one of the members for, and that's what we are referring to when that part of the conversation comes up, because IMDB, which is what kind of triggered the conversation, at, at least here, credited it all wrong, which is what made me laugh when I saw it. So when you get to that part of the conversation, that's what we're talking about. I know that some Ranger fans will be immediately thinking of the two unaired pilots, one of which has technically been seen by lots of people and the other has never been seen in its completion, but we're not talking about either of them. We're also not talking about the third unaired pilot that was basically a reshoot of the original unaired pilot. Not, none of them. All of the ones that you might have seen. We're not talking about any of them. Um, this is a completely different cast that never saw the light of day. So, yeah, that's my only one thing I'm going to say right off the bat. But I'm going to throw you over to myself and Kelly now, and I really hope you guys dig this. And just be aware that I'm about to drop you into the conversation because we had already started talking about other stuff. And uh, I wanted to include this little bit at the beginning about something that we'd said. Um, so there isn't going to be like an intro piece. Uh, that's why I've kind of done it for you. So sit back, relax, enjoy, and I'll see you for the outro. I feel like these days people are very, very slowly and it is a very slow, painful process beginning to realize that a lot of their favorite films and moments in films wouldn't exist if not for the doubles and the stunt people. And it's taken the general audience a very long time to get there. You know, and we're still, it's still, we're having, you know, fighting for the recognition. It's not even me. I'm like, I'm not even halfway I mean, some of these people, the things that they do and there's, there's, you know, who recognizes them the most, the stars that they're doubling. Yeah. That's yeah. who, like the, with, with the, the graciousness and the, and the gratitude of the people that, you know, you're, you're out there doing stuff for, those are the people that seem to have the most appreciation for the stunt people. Thank God for them. I agree. I think it is super important and very helpful that the people who we see on the screens every day are some of the biggest champions for the stunt community for the doubles regardless of if it's for fights falls driving all the weird and wonderful things in between and uh i'm right there with you there are great people that we could name uh keanu reeves is a easy example of that yeah so one of the reasons that we ended up having this conversation, aside from the fact that you work in the industry and we're going to be getting to that and talking about your own specific skill sets, because you have quite a lot of them, 
uh, is also the fact that you have led quite an interesting life. And while we were talking before I started recording, you mentioned that you have been on tour with Madonna, which uh, frankly sounds like a very interesting tale that I think people would be interested in. So uh, would you mind telling us a bit about that? Oh my gosh. So I was, I was a bikini model, like in my earlier days, and we were doing a, a promo show up in Big Bear, California. It was at the ski resort. And it was with John Wayne's son. And um, I was really into surfing at the time. Like, you know, bikini chick doing, you know, I love surfing. And um, we were, we were having to, I think we were roasting Chris Collinsworth in a in one of the skits who was a, you know, he's an American football. It's, it's football. Okay. Yeah. I don't know um, who that is, but it's fine. <laughs> right. No, I know. I know. That's why I said that. And we were up there and we were in um, bikinis and Ugg boots at the time. It was before Uggs even like he was just trying to get his product out there. Mm-hmm. And we were goofing around and laughing. And um, I'm, I, all of the cameramen that were doing this show, particular show on Big Bear were surfers. And so I love meeting people. I'm not actually one of those shy people. I'm a little bit maybe more gregarious than I probably should be. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was talking to the cameramen and a lot of them were surfers. And so they lived in Manhattan Beach, California. And we were talking about surfing at the time. I was in I was living in Florida and waves suck in Florida. So they invited me after like me talking to them for a long time. They invited me out to California to go surfing with them. I'm like, yay, go surfing in California. You know, like some teenagers dream, right? Um, that came, <laughs> that comes from the East coast of the United States. So um, I was going to say, out, you're, you're saying it's some teenagers dream. What you mean is it was yours. <laughs> it was mine. Yeah. I wanted to go surfing with the big boys right out in California in the cold, cold shark infested water out here. <laughs> I I know, but I loved it. I mean, I even think about the coldness. I hated because I was so skinny. Like I was always cold, even not in the water wetsuits, you know? Um, So I became very good friends with them, but they were cameramen. They were going on tour with Madonna and they were like, Oh, you know, they were doing helping with the, it was called um, uh, her truth or dare, you know, her blonde ambition tour. And he, she was filming a movie. Yeah. Um, it was, at the time she was dating Warren Beatty and it was interesting. It was an interesting time in the, in, in the entertainment world. It was probably some of my favorite times. I mean, the things that were coming forward and the tours that were happening and um, they're like, Hey, you want to come with us? We'll get you a job. <laughs> I was like, Oh yeah. I love it. <laughs> I mean, Madonna was huge at the time. Like um, who wouldn't, you know, like, okay. So they literally got me a job as the chef's assistant on tour but then I ended up doing um part of the dance number when she had we like dressed in S&M gear oh <laughs> okay stage. yeah so you know you know it was like during that time that she was doing yeah I mean, it was just it was more of being a model on stage so it wasn't like I was anything big on this tour but it was fun traveled the world did a bunch of stuff made some money you know somebody my age like coming from you know, the East coast doing this cool stuff. I I remember being on the tour bus, like going through the, the, you know, the mountains of, you know, Vienna and we went all over the world. It was, it was probably some of the funnest times and the, the, you know, doing 
doing things with the guys and the girls after the shows, going out on the town. I mean, the thing is, you there was usually somebody with us that was local to the, you know, if we were in Rome or Vienna or, um, you know, somewhere in Spain, there was somebody on tour with us that could show us where the cool places were. And for somebody like me, that was like so exciting. So I, I think I can safely say that uh, that is not just you. I think if I, I can't really cook to say, well, I can, but I can't cook anything extravagant to save my life. And um, if someone said to me, oh, yeah, you could you could be a, a chef's assistant, but, the, you know, you got to go on tour. And it's like, yep, I can cook. No problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And not, and not only that, she was a macrobiotic vegetarian. I don't know if she is you know, now, but back then she was. And so it was like everything was special and special for her. And she had this this cool chef from New Zealand. He used to wear kilts and Doc Martens and tattoos. And, and he was so sweet. He was like a little pussycat. But and he made the most amazing food and so I learned so much I mean literally my job was like chopping carrots and putting things through the juicer and you know but I learned so much from him and he would feed the whole crew and I mean she would some of the people she would take on tour with her was so interesting so interesting you know the, the, the massage therapist the trainer like everybody had really cool stories and I mean I was pie eyed every night watching and listening to these people it was like you learn a lot. Yeah, you grow up and you grow up in a year on tour with you know a famous artist like that. So I was in heaven. Yeah, um, it sounds it. I mean, you can say oh, I I wasn't like a big part of it, but there aren't many people that can say that you that have had that same experience. So don't knock it. It's you know, it's if if I had that sort of experience, everyone would know about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. You know, and the thing was, is, you know, I'm, I'm from Ohio originally, and I grew up in a very Midwestern family, everything, you know, it was, um, I wouldn't, it's not really a farm, it was more like we grew vegetables and, you know, stuff like that it wasn't like there wasn't animals or, mm-hmm. but it was, you know, country girl, I'm a country girl. And um, I didn't realize that the thank goodness it was her for the first tour that I went on because she was super, super healthy. Her whole lifestyle was running, working out, um, you know, no no drugs and alcohol, eating macrobiotic, massage therapist, you know, good energy. Like I was spoiled on that kind of tour. I got invited to go on other tours later. Some of the bands were so amazing. Like if I told you who they were that I actually started off on tour with and then got scared out of my mind (laughs) because (laughs) it was completely different than Madonna's, right? It was like, it was like people chasing you around, like, come here, little girl. You know, bring in the girls and, you know, here, you know, alcohol and drugs. And it's like, oh, my God, I got off tour on the second tour date on on the the other tour that I went on after that. (laughs) Like, I'm out of here. (laughs) This is crazy. So I was really, really spoiled with Madonna's tour. Yeah, she was. And she was she's such a businesswoman. Oh, my God, that she was a smart. She's a smart cookie. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't doubt it. At the end of the day. I've always said this, like, regardless of what people think of uh, certain singers' music or their personal lives, if you can stay relevant in this obsessed cultural world that we have where everything has to be in the moment and you can still Mm -hmm. be relevant 40 or even 50 years after you first made your mark, 
you don't get to do that by just being good at one thing you like you said you have to be smart you have to know what you're doing you have to know when to change and how to keep riding with what works and not just stick with what clearly isn't anymore and she's one of those people she's a chameleon for sure with a with a mind like steel like (laughs) she's i mean and then her husband at the time a long time ago guy Ritchie was you know I mean, he's my favorite. I love this guy. So, I mean, his movies. I, I want to be in a Guy Ritchie film. <laughs> oh yeah, I I don't blame you there. I would uh, I would have loved to to do a Guy Ritchie film at one one point, especially obviously some of his earlier British stuff. The yeah. early British stuff. Uh huh. Yeah. Like I, I, I understood I understood the match very well though. Yeah. It's like I could understand maybe I I don't know anything that went on in personal relationships, but I could see it like just be in fire and then burning each other <laughs> kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, um, yeah, I mean, brilliant woman, brilliant. And she's, you know, she's kind of low, you know, laying a little bit lower these days, but still you, I see her. I see her all the time. <laughs> just, just got to throw that in there at the end before we move on. <laughs> right. And it's just like, I, it's, normal you know what they're doing behind the scenes and it sort of normalizes everything a little bit they just have way more money than you do (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that's 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 the the stopping point for some people but no I, I, i i agree i've i've always said that celebrities and inverted commas should be entitled to private lives i really don't care what most people do behind closed doors i just want to admire the work i've i've been like that since i was a kid um, admire the work yes exactly i love that but uh it, it's funny because uh speaking of being a kid that i noticed when i was looking through the the things with which you have proficiency that one of them well a couple of them but one in particular that you have is one we share and that's archery <gasps> yes i'm i am a major longbow i don't really like do crossbow that well because I always thought oh that's cheating you know but it's (laughs) it's not you know but I love I love you know I used to have a guy that made my bows for me I actually had two people make I actually had an ex-boyfriend that made a bow for me (laughs) okay and um yeah I mean I used to luckily we had those backyards with like really really long backyards where we could practice with the bows and my dad would get it to the right poundage from my sister and I we both did it he would make our bows for us first. It was my first bow maker was my dad. And nice. then after that, it was like, you know, the pro at the, at the places. My dad used to do these things that were, he was really good with the powder guns, you know, mm-hmm. shock from, and I hated them because they were loud and stinky, you know, as a little girl, I hated yeah. them. I love, I love them now. I, I, I go to Scotland and shoot them with my friends all the time. I, my dad still has them. Um, but the archery, was always I was like I liked the swords and the because they were quiet and they didn't smell funny you know when you're a little girl it was kind of a thing <laughs> but yeah it's it's, it's funny because um I I obviously UK and US very different anyway so I went to a, a club to do archery um and my both my dad and my granddad were were in a gun and rifle club because they grew up in a slightly different UK to me like by the time um, I was gone we have very we have similarities there. Wow. I grew up in gu- I grew up in gun club too. 
Well, actually, our, sim- <laughs> our similarities are, are even funnier than that because uh, I've spoke. There's a few people I've had on this show where it's the same because I'm actually from the south of the UK, which uh, I'm the very, very south at the very bottom, which is considered farm country. So uh, <laughs> there's We're a lot of similarities. Similar. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I went to an archery club and. I did use a long bow eventually, but they started me on just a, a normal uh, short bow. They didn't have crossbows, but they had uh, they had they had this range of bows and range of people using them. So me and the other longbow guy, who was this absolute giant, who was nearly like seven foot tall, and you know the longbow looked tiny in his hands. It was hilarious. We we would always do it together. And then you had these massive muscular guys using the big uh, mechanical composite bows. And I tried pulling them back once and it was like, no. You, no. <laughs> and so you liked it because of the smell and, you know, it was quiet. And I liked it because, you know, it was kind of like I didn't even realize until much later how much it was giving me a workout. And I didn't even realize it was happening. And I was like, oh, I like this. This doesn't actually cause me to like feel like I'm going to die afterwards, <laughs> but it works. Because you're so focused on the moment when you're pulling it. Yeah. When I was a kid, I mean, my, my poundage was so low. It was ridiculous. The bow would go like, I mean, the the arrow would go like right in front of me, (laughs) but you know, eventually you get stronger and you learn. And, and then when you first, when you hit the bullseye for the first time with a bow an arrow, you're like, Oh my God, you watch your arrow. Just, it's like, what a good feeling, you know, to hit that, to hit the target that you're looking, that you're aiming at. Like when it all comes together, after you get the, enough strength and enough focus and enough, um, you know, where you understand your bow and then you have to have your own bow because all the bows are different, you know? Yeah. Well, again, I had um, a red bow. I had a red bow. Oh, okay. my dad painted it. My dad painted it red for me. <laughs> I think um, if I remember correctly, mine ended up being black, but it wasn't through, through choice. It was just that I picked it up when I first started and then, didn't realize until much later that it was like the last of the old bows and everybody else had these brand new ones and I was using the old one, but I got so used to it that they were just like, yeah, that's your bow now. You, you, you know, no one else is going to use it. <laughs> it's funny. I, um, I know it's like, but you've got, it's almost like um, your bow is like your sword, you know, you have to, it's like yours. It's, it's like you imprint on it, just like your swords. And, um, I still have my bow. I don't, I, I don't live in a place where I can shoot it all that often or all these celebrities would probably be like, I'm not letting my kids anywhere near your house. <laughs> and, um, I, and I'm, I'm training pretty hard on other things right now, but definitely miss doing my archery. I haven't done it in like since COVID actually I did it right before COVID in, I, I was at somebody else's backyard and we were out there shooting targets that's that sounds Killer, good killing the hay <laughs> yeah I, I, the, the closest i can get to archery is axe throwing and again it costs too much money to go and do that uh reg- regularly but it's good fun every now and then i'm terrible at axe throwing just you know <laughs> i don't know what it is about axe throwing i mean i could i know how to do it i had some friends show me how to do it and i'm like oh yeah there's the axe bouncing off <laughs> the target (laughs) but I you know and they always say oh you're just trying to look good doing it (laughs) that's your problem 
So I have to get, I have, that's one thing I have to practice on, but I could totally see you doing axe throwing. <laughs> you're good at it. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not amazing at it, but um, I, I'm, 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 I'm the same with everything I try. I'm rubbish at first. And then I have this period where I'm really, really good. And then when I think to myself, right, this is what I'm going to do now as a hobby. Then I go back to being rubbish. <laughs> I have this period where it's like, yes, I'm really good at this. And now I'm crap. <laughs> you know, in the UK, I have some friends that do that in the UK. They go around doing the competitions. They look like they have a lot of fun. You should do it anyways, because it's not just, I don't think it's just about the axe throwing on those competitions. They look like they have fun. <laughs> yeah, it's the same with, um, this is totally off topic. For one of my friends, Stag Dues, we went and did um, some shooting and he's ex-army. Uh, his brother was still in the army and he still is. Um, and two of the older gentlemen that joined us, who I, I didn't know that well, but they're related to them. They're both like champion level shooters. And I'd never done this before. And even though it was the first day that we all of us had done this across both days where we did this, I scored almost double what the so-called champions did and i just obliterated everyone and the guys were like are you sure you don't do this professionally and i'm like nope and i remember my mate was like i don't understand how you can do so well he said i can't shoot this thing for shit and i do this for a living and i'm like i honestly after the first couple of instructions i got i ignored them and i just shot where i felt i would shoot and it worked because that's, that's so great but that's how i used to do archery like they give you all this advice on how to aim and how to shoot and it's like you need all of that but at the end of the day it you have to feel it like i don't know how else to explain it i mean i don't need to explain it to you but i feel the same whether it's a gun whether it's a bow whether it's an axe is it, if i feel like it's going to hit the target it usually does i have to not think about it in order to do it do you know what that means that means you're really intuitive like you, you, you probably, you intuitively know how this is supposed to look. Maybe you watched it a million times. Maybe you, I mean, you feel it, you feel what's going on. The only, I mean, the instruction that you should really pay attention to is always the safety stuff. Like oh yeah. Just, yeah. And of course you do because you're smart. Um, but that's like, like, no, that's like the, you don't want to screw up on that one. And then the rest, yeah, you can feel it. You know when that arrow's gonna hit the bullseye. You know when, you know how this gun is supposed to shoot. You know where it's supposed to go. Um, and some people don't have that, honestly. Like I think you do. You're lucky. You should. You know, but that's probably also why you have good days and bad days because it depends on what's going on with you inside. Yeah, that's that's the the theory I've always gone with as well, but. Um... Just taking us back to to the world of acting, I, I'm curious if this annoys you as much as it does me. Is when you're in the middle of watching something really enjoyable, and then a and a, a character that allegedly has archery as one of their skills comes out, and they pull back, and then they go, "Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, nothing." It's not even just archery. The sword thing gets me the worst. But it's like, who taught you to do that? <laughs> Yeah, and it's for the, like, and it's, sorry for those people that can't, uh, can only hear us. It's the thing where they let go, but when they let go, they fling their arm out, uh, which is like the <laughs> number one thing you should not do. Never do. 
Right. And anybody that knows, that's why I'm one of those people. I, I always try to hint around, like, it's easier to teach something that takes a life, a life to learn, you know, like, or a very long time to learn with a big learning curve. Why don't you take somebody like that and teach them acting <laughs> instead of having an, you know what I mean? Because it takes a long time unless an actor's done it for a long, a long period of time and they train on it all the time because it, you can tell, is it, I guess the majority of the audience doesn't know yeah. how to do something. But then when you get somebody in the audience that knows what they're doing and they like, oh, geez, what was that? That's awful. You know, it ruins the whole movie. I mean, I've had some really great acting movies, you know, where I think the actors are doing such a great job. And then there's like some action in it. Like, what were you, what was that? What did you just do? But I'm understanding it more and more. The more I train for 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 them for film and TV, the more I understand. I've been training all my life for um, the art. It's an art to me, like everything. Yeah. Um, it's more like the art of hitting, the art of killing. You know, it's that's the way I've been trained up until I got to Hollywood. And then it's the art of not hitting, and not killing, and not hurting. And it's so it's become a very big transition for me there's it's uh, not easy there's an there's an old adage that the hardest people to choreograph and make look good on film are the people that actually know what they're doing so martial That's artists true. are the hardest people to choreograph because on camera you need to bring your arm around to swing so that the camera actually picks it up whereas an actual martial artist is like no you'd go straight forward and yeah. you, wouldn't, you you wouldn't do this massive swinging motion <laughs> Yeah. And then you, and then it, you know, when you train it, you see it and you're like, that's all. And then you, you understand why they do it, you know? So it's, so the other actor sees it coming and they can, you know, adjust react. so they don't actually get hit. Yeah. And react. It's like, you have to do, you're doing it for your, the partner that's in front of you. It's, it's very strange. It's a whole new thing actually. <laughs> But but also it's what looks good on camera is what matters exactly. at the end of the day. It might look it might feel and look silly while you're filming it, but then when you see it through the lens that hopefully has been selected to make it look good, then you're like, Oh, that's why I had to do that. That makes perfect sense now. Right. And going back to like archery, you know how you properly pull mm -hmm. back the arrow and it's very near your face? Yeah. You can't you can't do that. No. And the camera's on your face. It looks horrifying. You have to like do something completely off and different. And it's like, oh God, it's almost like you feel like you're breaking every rule in the book by having the camera in your face. It's like, this really, I have to do, no, I can't. My friends will see me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, as you alluded to a few times in that conversation, yes, you're good at archery, but you're also pretty much good at anything that is a weapon. So you're good with swords and you've also been trained with guns. So did that go hand in hand with the archery? I'm going to go on a limb and say some of that came from your dad. Oh, my God. I think my, I know my dad wanted me to be a boy growing up. I actually know what my name would have been if I was a boy growing up. <laughs> my name would have been Vincent, just so you know. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Um, and then I, I, you know, here I am. I'm a girl. But luckily for my dad, my my sister and I both, when we were kids, loved the outdoors. I mean, our every weekend, my, we had a cabin in Pennsylvania. It was just 
a primitive rustic cabin and my dad used it. He was a hunter, fisher, you know, total outdoorsman. He could, and he's, he's a military guy too. So, um, we would go out. I mean, the first skill I think he taught us was fishing. So that was like easy. Put it, I hated putting the worm on the hook though. Forget it. I was like, fly. I like the fly fishing where you could, they weren't real. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to kill anything. It was so that it started a progression of, you know, doing stuff like that. Honest to be, to be fair, I never, I could never kill anything really like animals. I could never kill animals. I always wanted to shoot a, a bottle or a target or whatever, but then it progressed from there. Then it was like fishing. Then it went to archery and he would show us how to make our own bows. You know, my, my dad was really good at bow making. And then it was he had these friends that were into, you know, like military friends that were into the guns and mm -hmm. the old guns, like the antique stuff. But they also had swords because you have guns, you have, you have to have the swords. Right. And so obviously, like I said, little girl, um, didn't really like the smell of the gunpowder at that time. And the loud, the loud powder guns. Oh my gosh, they're so loud. And I didn't want to have to wear all that gear that you had to wear. And yeah. so, I played with the swords. I was a sword girl growing up, but my, my dad didn't really know swords as much as he did guns, like every gun. Like, so obviously we all had to learn how to shoot guns when we were kids. Safety, you know, because he wanted somebody to go with sometimes. So yeah, I got it. Luckily I had guy cousins too, that would come and do the hunting part or else I'd probably have to go kill something when I was a kid, which I didn't like. <laughs> yeah so, i um i can't relate to any of that because obviously uk can't do any of that um yeah. when I, when i was growing up obviously it was different um from like my parents generation but um it, it does make me chuckle because i'm always torn when i hear those stories because it's like i'm glad you didn't have to go and kill anything and do hunting because i i know so many people where they're like oh yeah i didn't really enjoy hunting but i had to do it because my dad wanted me to and i'm like yeah i don't agree with that <laughs> like i get it but at the same time you don't have to force them to do something that involves killing something you know right so we would always my sister and i would be like oh it's too cold because it was always like winter when you had to go do the things he wanted to do he liked the pheasant and the grouse and the deer <laughs> you know like but he liked those kind of, i mean there was a season for everything trust me but um those were his favorites and so um so i grew up doing after he would come home from hunting, I did the woman part, you know, with my parents, like cleaning the things. It was like, <laughs> and then the freezer full of all kinds of game. And my dad was a jokester. He would, you know, you have that freezer wrapper, the white paper. So you wrap it up really well. And then my dad would write on there like different things to just freak out my grandma. She would be, he would be like, dear, dear buttholes. And <laughs> just, and she'd be like, what is this? In the freezer, she'd have to open it to see what was inside. It was my dad being so funny to my grandma because she hated stuff like that. She, my grandma was one of those straight laced and you know went to church every Sunday. Didn't swear, no gambling, no smoking, no drinking. You know, one of those. And she would open her freezer, and my dad would have all these packages marked with things that would offend her. <laughs> so, but kind, it was kind um, of funny. I'm not gonna lie, that's kind of funny. But yeah, so we, I mean, we, I mean, I liked going to the gun club when I was a kid, actually. I loved shooting clay pigeons and I loved um, shooting, you know, shooting at targets. To me, that was actually really fun. I, maybe that's why 
Yeah, yeah. No, that that I agree. Yeah. I, I I like shooting at targets. I like the clay pigeon, as I said, and it's just fun to do that sort of stuff. Like you say, when you're not going to kill something, but the right. to just to just do it from a skill point of view or a competitive point of view. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I remember I went to a place that this will be nothing. So I'm I'm gonna skip all of the geographical things. But there, there's a place uh, not too far from where I grew up, and they had a guy there who was a former military and he was doing like airsoft, not quite airsoft, trying to think what it was now. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But he had a sniper rifle-esque gun and he was like, I'm going to put a match on the end of a string at the other end of the range and whoever can uh, take the top off the match, you get to win for today. And it was just like, how do you expect any of us to do that on like the first go? And uh, someone did, but it, it did take him quite a long time. But yeah, that was a that was a lot of fun because he obviously that weapon was not from the organization. That was one of his personal weapons. So that was really good to to have a, a different experience. <laughs> so just so you know, those are the kind of guys that my dad used to hang out with. <laughs> I mean, and I feel right at home like, oh, yeah. And then going when they bring their arsenal with you, I'm like, yeah, OK. Lay out, lay, oh, wow. Look at this one. You know, I'm like. I return right back to my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> so so just quickly before I change gears then, because I'm curious personally as well, is it says tri- uh, martial arts techniques specific to film and television. So I'm just curious what those are. Well, my favorite is fencing. My okay. favorite is classical fencing. My favorite is, is the old swords. That's my favorite. And I've trained the longest in that. And uh, I compete with that. Um, yeah, yeah, so you're very good stuff, at that, I hear. <laughs> specifically, one sword is called the small sword. Is my That's my favorite. Um, so if we can narrow it down to just one weapon, I would say small sword is my favorite. I'm trained in different... So in different parts of the world, they have their different ways of training and their different weapons and their different systems. And I have a little bit of knowledge from a lot of... Of different things. Eastern is something that I'm probably the least skilled in yep. because I grew up with mostly Western martial arts, which is the guns, the knives, the the axes, the archery, the army and navy, and you know, the weapons from the military. That's Western. The Eastern is like the Filipino martial arts, Muay Thai, um, Taekwondo, karate kung fu you know the whole all that i mostly film in television for those yeah for the western no i mostly you know i do the real thing but for the eastern i'm film and television which is the art of not hitting yeah you know the round kicks the so pretty much all the ones you just listed there uh, for Eastern are ones I've done. My main one is Krav Maga, but I've done all the other stuff as part of a mixed style. So that's why I was curious, because I can hold my own in those conversations. But weapons is ironically the one thing I'm not particularly versed in. So I found uh-huh. I've, I list. That's why I was curious to ask, because I like listening about it. One of my friends, um, he does fencing, but he doesn't at the moment because he's, he's in the RAF now and doesn't really have the time. But. Yeah, right. he 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 grew up doing weapons, so we can have some really weird conversations. Because I, I, in my head, I think of fencing, and you think of the 
the scenes you see in films where everybody's really armored up and they just sort of poke each other in the chest and you're like, yeah, there's a lot more to it than that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it depends on which sword. It depends on which country. It depends on which region. It depends on which era. Like there's a sword for everything, just like there's a gun for everything. Same. Yeah. Just, um, but honestly, the Eastern martial arts are fascinating it's more it's 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 so all-encompassing and it's i'm finding it challenging and i love that i love that i realize that there's common threads with it all yeah with all with with any with any martial art there's a common thread it's usually don't get killed (laughs) 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 yeah that that does help (laughs) don't get killed and try to kill the other person or make it look like that's what you're trying to do, or or at least disarm them, or at least you know keep them from hurting you and themselves in the in in the whole fight. Yeah. But there's common. I'm I'm feel I'm realizing you know the like the blocks and the and the way you position yourself to put yourself in a in a position of strength is is the same in in everything that you do. So. Um, and keeping yourself safe and and you know th- for the for the movies and film it's a lot different it's about how to make the other guy look good while you look good too <laughs> yes it's, you have to add that you have to add that element in it try to do all that that martial art stuff and try to look good you know let let the other guy get the camera angle over the shoulder you know what i mean it's like you ha- then you have to add that element into it and that's what it's so challenging and so I love it. I actually love it. I love yeah. trying to, it's like a puzzle that I have to figure out. So it's not just kicking somebody else's butt. It's, it's, you know, how to make them look good too. And while you look good, yeah, watch out for the camera guy. <laughs> to, to be honest, I think you hit the nail on the head there for action scenes in general is they are a puzzle and, you know, you need the stunt coordinator, you need an action director, you need a camera guy that understands how to film fights. You need the people in front of the screen to be good at what they do. And then everybody needs to pray that the person that edits it understands how to do a fight because the amount Abs- of films that oh. don't have that. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh. That is you. So you get all this. I mean, it's like so many people coming together to make that one punch look like it's a real punch. And it looks good on camera with the right angle and you caught it at the right time and they turned their head the right time and you swung at the right time and you gave them enough notice and it's it looks like it looks real and not fake and choreographed it's all about looking real and not fake and choreographed and robotic or so or too far in the other direction and it ends up looking like a dance exactly exactly yeah you got to make it look like like you would be really good at this because what we were talking about earlier it's about you know intuition and intention you got to look the part you got it's a lot just a fight scene is acting like there's some there's a heavy acting in being that fight character yeah in the face in the body in the energy you're protruding in the way that your body's leaning like things that people don't think about when they're watching a fight scene on you know, like a John Wick, it's hard to appreciate what they had to go through to make that look like this person really got hit. 
Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, John Wick is a great example because of how much training they did beforehand, which wasn't the norm at the time for Hollywood. And now because they've had such financial success, obviously every other person that makes film is like, well, we need to do this level of training. And then they see how much training is involved. And then they're like, oh, maybe we could not. (laughs) You know, well, that's, I train all the time. Like I literally never not train. Like actually after this, I have four auditions that I'm doing and then I'm going to train. Training for five hours at this ranch called uh, Rancho Indalo, which is, it's got horses and oh my gosh, you would love it. It's got, um, he's, he's like amazing with um, archery on horseback. Oh my gosh. I know. Axe throwing. Axe throwing. I haven't got to that part yet because I'm still working on, you know, I'm working on a lot. I do a lot of stick work up there because I have people to train with. So that that does sound um, fun. I I unfortunately am terrified of horses, so that ain't going to happen. Oh, well, there's the, then there's the regular archery, but he's got, I mean, you should see the stuff that he's got in just these bins, every weapon you can imagine from any part of the world. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, and I have so much fun. I'm like, Ooh, what's this for? You know, like, okay, teach me, teach me, teach me, (laughs) you know, and then we have to, we go through the whole thing. But the guy that I train with Anthony DeLongis is he's been doing this forever. He's probably in all those shows that you watched growing up. But when you said his name, then my brain went, I think I know that person, but I'm, I'm I'm really bad at connecting names and faces without looking it up. So I'm not going to get distracted, but I'll, I'll, I'll look at later. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's probably in some of your favorite, you know, B movies yeah. besides Star Trek and everything else, but he's, um, he's been training me to, you know, like ever I train all the time. Yeah. Like I'm just, I never stop training. So that when I like, I get a role and I'm like, got that. I got that. No big deal. I know what you don't worry, you know, just let's choreograph this. It's true though. That's, that's how you get the roles. If you're not prepared for when the opportunity comes along you can't get it. And there's a really famous-ish story from um, Star Wars, because you just mentioned Star Trek, that's what made me think of it, where the original actor that was going to play Emperor Palpatine, or did play Emperor Palpatine, lost the role. Because he's in, he was in Empire Strikes Back for the one scene that the Emperor's in, and he was supposed to be in Return of the Jedi before the role obviously went to and my brain is blanking because I'm thinking of the other guy's name, but the person that we all know and love. But the original actor, Clive Revel, lost it for the simple fact is he couldn't cope with contact lenses. Oh, my gosh. But yeah, he just couldn't do it. After he tried for hours to get on with them, but they really, really bothered his eyes to the point he just couldn't act. And so they had to replace him. And that's why uh, Ian got the role. And obviously oh he's he's made how many films and appearances uh, since? So many. Oh my God. That's crazy. I know. I and you know, you hate to hear that that it's something like that that would keep somebody, you know, from doing something. Yeah. So I don't ever want that to be the reason why people don't hire me, that she doesn't know what she's doing. Um obviously there's a bunch of training that you have to do before the film anyway, just the choreography of it. So, I mean, the the amount of work that goes into just taking a trained actor and getting them to the point where you can do the the scene, the scenes, um, that takes a lot of training just to get the choreography down. But if you don't already have the skills walking into it and they have to teach you the skills on top of that choreography, it's it's like, how long is this going to take, you know? So if you come in with what you need already and then they have something to work with, it's... 
Um, just quickly following on from what you were just saying, um, did you hear the story about how uh, Benny Arquidas had to train Patrick Swayze for his film? I'm blanking on what film it was now, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Ben Benny was brought you mean in. Roadhouse. Thank you, Roadhouse. For some reason, I couldn't think of the name of it. <laughs> okay, I disappear off of you, so we're good. <laughs> but um, yeah, P Patrick was really struggling with the choreography. Obviously, he's not a fighter; he's a dancer. And uh, Benny was trying desperately to get him to learn the choreography, to get him to relax. And uh, this went on for days and they just were not getting it. And now production was really beginning to like, are we going to like be able to do this? Because we're wasting a lot of film and days. And uh, Benny put it to music and realized that Patrick is such a good dancer that he can do anything on a beat. And so Benny basically taught him how to fight to music. And that's how he learned the choreography, where he had to play the music, teach him the moves, and he remembered it as if it was a dance, but then he didn't need the music because he'd already learned it, so then he could do it without it. Yeah, it's so funny how people learn. I mean, I'm also a musician, so I struggled. I actually play Scottish Celtic music. Um, I saw that. I... Go on. It's, but it's by ear. There's no what they call dots. <laughs> they yeah. don't have any music, so you have to learn it by listening. And they were trying to, you know, everybody learns differently. If I don't have the whole song in my head, then I, I can't play it. Like I have to hear it first in my head all the way through, or I can't pick up my fiddle and play it. And some, so you learn, everybody learns something differently. Like whatever is your strong point is probably, if you can relate that somehow to something new that you're learning, you'll probably learn it quicker and better, yeah. which is brilliant that he saw that that means he was a really good choreographer that he could pick up on that and not try to force Patrick to do something outside of the box for himself I mean he he went outside of the box he didn't make Patrick like just force yeah. it down his throat you know yeah so, exactly it's it's the best way to teach brilliant yeah I'm happy about that didn't know that so you were saying that you're a fiddler player and I I, I did have to laugh because when I read that and I saw the fiddle, the first thing that popped into my head is the devil went down to Georgia. And I thought, <laughs> it's not going to be that kind of music, but it's going to be stuck in my head now all the way through this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a girl that um, sometimes she 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 was one of my first teachers and she always invites me to come in, up on stage and play with her uh, when when I'm when we're in the same place. Or sometimes I'll travel to see her because I love her so much and we go to these really fun places and she'll pull me up, but nobody can do Devil Goes Down to Georgia like she can. And I can't, her and her dad play it together. He's on the guitar and she's on the fiddle. Her name is Amber Lay. She's amazing. And she, the duo, the duet that she does with her dad, when he plays the guitar and she does the fiddle, just, it's crazy. They've been doing it since she was like two, probably. That uh, that wouldn't surprise me. That does seem to be the thing. If you're really good yeah. at something, you you've been doing it for a very long time. I'm not that good. I just want you to know. No, <laughs> can't do that. I can't do it like that. I play I play certain I play certain songs really well. That's not one of them. <laughs> so in that case, then since we've we've covered fencing, archery, shooting, Hollywood martial arts, at what point did you decide that you wanted to try and get? into the world of acting or the world of stunts or when was that decision made and what one did you want to go into first oh so 
I, so I did this stuff when I was in my twenties in Florida, because, you know, you're young and you're, you're beautiful and you're like running all over the, not, not to say me, but in general, um, you, you have opportunities in front of you and you're like, oh yeah, I'll try that. I'll do that. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty adventurous person to begin with. I think that started when I was a child, obviously you see all, all the adventures I used to go on when I was a kid. I mean, yep. my dad would take us everywhere. I mean, and we weren't afraid of anything. Like some of the situations he put us in, <laughs> I don't, it might be, it might be considered child abuse at this point, <laughs> at this day and age. <laughs> but back then, you know, it was like, you know, we had our own adventure troupe of the family. Um, it, it was, it was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun when I was a kid. Um, and then it sort of spills over into, you know, I used to do the wave runners for Yamaha and the motorcycles for Harley Davidson. And, you know, so I had, I always had that adventure part in me. Like I would take a modeling job just because it had some fun, you know, what, Oh, we get to go surfing. Oh, we get to go. You know what I mean? It was more, I would take a job based on what kind of fun we were going to have, what kind of adventure we were going to do while yeah. we were, while we were getting our picture taken. And I'm still that way. I'm still that way. I haven't grown out of that part. Um, so, but I went corporate. I mean, I got into um, a pretty bad mountain biking accident and I screwed my face up a little bit, a little bit. I have, I'm metal, I'm metal everywhere. Um, oh, okay. And so, uh, you know, from falling off and I had to yeah. put everything back together again and it was years and I'm like, oh, okay, well I'll go corporate now because I have a college degree. And so I've been working for this company that I do. Um, I do a lot of uh, internal communications is a good way to put it. Um, I shuffle information back and forth between partners, um, depending on the project. And they moved me out to LA. And I, I still have a bunch of adventurous friends out here that, you know, I'm one of those people that knows people that are, like a lot of different places in the world. And I had a bunch of friends well, it seems like every all my friends trying to do something moved to LA when I was younger. And so they're all out here and I reconnected with them. And most of them are in the movie business, you know, doing some aspect of the movie business, whether it's, um, you know, writing scripts, editing, whatever. Like you, you, you want to be an actor, but then you end up doing something else. Right. So um, I'm like, oh, yeah, let me try this thing again. I started it sort of like doing my wanting to do my adventurous stuff kind of put me back into the movies again. And now I'm having, I'm having so much fun <laughs> doing it. It's like, Oh, I get to go sword fighting. I like this one movie. Uh, I got to actually fence in it and I got to play my fiddle in it. And oh. I got, to, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's like, it's starting, it's like, oh, what do I get to do in this movie? <laughs> and I get to scream and act like a crazy lady in this one, but I get to climb a fence and, chase after somebody and then the next show I have coming up I'm a CIA agent I get to you know assassinate people (laughs) (laughs) that that escalated quickly (laughs) I mean and then this this other show um I get to I I get to do wire work because I'm a witch and I get to fly you know what I mean it's like I get I'm I'm using my skills and I'm like I'm having I'm doing the same thing I'm like what do I get to do for this role? Oh, cool. You know, I'm doing it. I want to do this role. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, sometimes I play the normal roles. Like one of the one I just finished, I was a lawyer. 
I was always hoping I was like the mean lawyer that, you know, does something that I can use some skill, but no, it's just a normal lawyer. <laughs> but, you, you know, so it's like I take these, they're still great roles. It's just the ones that attract me are the ones where I can go do something physical in it. Yeah. So I, I think it's safe to say then that even if you are slowly moving more into acting, it was definitely the stunt stuff oh, that originally sure. attracted you. <gasps> yeah. And it's like, and, and, the, and it's always on the cutting edge. Like, I, I love to be on the cutting edge of stuff too. Like, I love the mocap and, you know, the, the green screen stuff and just like seeing all the stuff that works to, to make us, you know, make something really cool happen. Um, and there's some brilliant people in this world that do, I mean, it's literally magic what they can yeah. do and how, when it, when it all comes together. And I love to be part of that. So exciting to me. Have you done much mocap work then? I've done a little. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could do more. Um, I like to do the real thing. I mean, I like I've been doing more of the real thing. The mocap stuff is so interesting, like recording every movement. There's a project that we're working on in Maryland that um, it's on hold right now because what's going on in the world, but yeah. it's getting ready to pick back up again. But it's more of an educational aspect. It's a historical movement archive. And okay. it's about recording, like reading treaties and reading things from ancient history or maybe even more recent history about the accuracy of maybe the bow pull, the long bow, the short bow crossbow and recording those movements and archiving them like if you were reading how to do it in an instruction manual this is what it really looks like and so i'm like super interested in that kind of thing because that's like mm. for posterity yeah yeah no that does sound interesting so i hope that works out and finishes yeah but, me too. um as as uh i've been a, a gamer in inverted commas i hate that term but I've been a gamer most of my life growing up. So seeing the technology evolve, like you said, especially with the mocap has always been fascinating. Um, I actually love the comparison between the early Devil May Cry games and the most recent one, Devil May Cry 5, because you've got Ruben Langdon, Daniel Southworth doing the mocap. And the difference in how much the technology has evolved from Devil May Cry 3 to 5 is just insane. Crazy. You know, they... They never used to be able to track their facial expressions. They never used to have, you know, these such in-depth mocap reflections that, you know, it was just you had to do these broad movements to make it translate well into game. And now it's like you can do the most subtle of acting yep. and it will pick it up. And it's just you think that's not there's only been like, what, 20 years, if that, between the two. Where Where is it going to go in another 20? Oh, yeah. I mean, Skyrim blew me away, right? All the things you can do in Skyrim. And I was like, this is my favorite game ever. Oh, my God, it's taken me forever to get through it. Just look at what the cool things you can do. Oh, my God, what, what do they do with that dragon? This is fantastic. And then it's like, it's nothing now, right? <laughs> it's like, wow, it's still I, pretty I cool. I... It's still pretty cool. Yes. But some, there's like some technology that even took it further. And it's like, whoa, mind blowing oh. stuff. Yeah, no, I agree. And obviously the, I think the cool thing as well is A, it's where a lot of stunt people have gone to still get paid because, mm -hmm. you know, it's great that they hire the best people in inverted commas, but it's also that the technology is kind of shared with the movie industry because you have such a reliance now on blue screen and green screen and the CGI that 
the two are kind of developing hand in hand and one is helping the other. And regardless of people's opinions on how much CGI you should use in a film, from a purely technology point of view, I do find it interesting how much you can do now to the point that there are people, myself included, who are, I'm really good at spotting practical, you know, and composite shots and CGI. And I did 3D animation at university. So I'm pretty good at that. And even now, there are times when I watch the behind the scenes stuff and there's a lot of stuff that they add in now with post effects and you go, I can't tell the difference. If you hadn't told me, I'd have never known. I mean, if you look at my, I just posted a picture yesterday. A lot of it was done CGI, like after C, you know, like I had, I just, I just did a pose and then the rest is, it's crazy what people can, what can, can happen. Um, a movie I just, I was just involved with you. Some of the stars can't do what, you know, they would like to do and you won't believe what's happening with CGI. And I, I can't believe how much they're going to use for it. And it's still going to look good. And I've seen some of their other, of course, I watched some of their other films before. And I was like, oh my God, they, it's like mostly CGI. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. No, crazy. Um, I, I think one of the reasons w why people are so averse to it is because, and I've, I've said this in previous episodes. Um, so listeners, yes, you've heard this before, but they don't give CGI artists enough time to properly finish it up. Um, a lot of the time they're on very, very tight deadlines. I mean, you know, the, the most famous one, which I've said before, is the ending of Black Panther, where the two CGI lumps uh, attack each other. But they literally did that in less than six weeks. Yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, I have to tell you, after like my experience with this last film, a lot of it's budget. Like if you can afford to do the real stuff, you know, like most of the Tom Cruise movies is a lot of it's real. It's not, there's not. A whole I mean, he, he, he's insane. And he's insane. Insurance. We're just going to say that he's insane. Yeah. Um, he like number one does his own stunts, but, but a lot of that is real, real blowing up of this, that um, if you have the money, you do it in real life. If you don't have the money, you do CGI, but CGI is very expensive, but it's still cheaper than you know, doing the real thing. So that's how you can, like in my, that's how you could tell the budget of a movie is like how much CGI they had to add to it. So. And and, and also the fact that the people that do uh, visual effects don't have a union helps greatly as well. Yeah. Which is. Mm, mm, <laughs> mm, mm -hmm. Moving on. Moving on. So. Obviously, I, I do have to just say this because I, I, I find this amusing that obviously I've, I was looking at your IMDb page and uh, it, it's pretty much 2016 and then 2019. You suddenly start having a lot of roles through 2020, 21, 22. And then there's a bunch of stuff that's either completed post-production or filming. But right at the bottom is a credit from 1989 for Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> well, guess what that was? It was obviously if anybody's seen the weekend at Bernie's, it was like it was probably the bikini chick, you know? <laughs> Close. You you were beach girl. <laughs> yes. It's funny how they add that. They just I mean, all of a sudden it was that's how my IMDB got started. I'm like, beach girl. Yeah, I was on the beach. <laughs> but it's you know, and you the thing about IMDB, you can't even get it off if you want to. 
you know, it's like it shows up there. But yes, it was a fun movie. And I did that um, with a couple of other girls. And it was filmed in, you know, in a tropical location. And there's plenty of beach girls there. <laughs> Bikini Chick. Well, they could just put Bikini Chick on there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why they didn't just do that. Bikini Chick. <laughs> girl, I, in I ba- also... the girl in Bikini. <laughs> I, I do have to now ask you about this because I've just noticed on your IMDb, you've also got a producer credit, which I'm going to ask you about in a second. But You've also got something marked archive footage, which I thought, archive footage? I only know of one show that has a lot of archive footage. And interestingly, Power Rangers Zeo, a Zeo <laughs> beginning part one, pink Power Ranger. <laughs> That's just, right? So, yes, I did do the one of the pilots for Power Rangers, which it never, it was in a different state than you know california and it was a bunch of us that i like i said i think they were just trying to fill the suits and film something of their idea nobody knew about power rangers nobody knew what was going to happen with power rangers um but once it got picked up we were no longer the power rangers we were yeah we they hired new people and i think they did another pilot and they did the same thing to them (laughs) Oh, they, yeah, the, there have been multiple casts of multiple. people come, come and gone before. Yeah, but the, I was probably the first, very first one, Pink Power Ranger. The, the reason why I, I ask is because Power Rangers Zeo came after Mighty Morphin. So and, I'm real curious as to how you they've credited you for that. So we, I don't think that was me that did anything that with that. Somebody probably from our cast was trying to get credited with ah okay and they just put it in and that's the only and that's like what imdb put up there because they don't have anything else and they're like okay we'll credit you but we don't where is this thing but yes we see that you were involved here's the proof that you were involved but this is what we have and so that's the one that they added okay but that's how it got up there but it's not that's not the episode well, no, I, I knew that because, um, like I said, that was four years after Power Rangers started. So oh, yeah, um, yeah. No, no, that, no, that, that was... definitely wasn't a pilot. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, there's, there's a few mistakes that need to be, you know, fixed on, you know, some, but you it's really difficult to fix things on there. It has to go through like a whole process. But I think what they did is they see that you're involved in something and they just can't find that particular and they're like, okay, well, she's got to have you know, a credit because she did this, we see this. And so this is what we're going to do. And then they approve whatever, but that's not the episode. No, no, I know. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so yeah, you produced something as well. Little Miss Perfect. Is that It's still, it's still in post. Um, okay. As a matter of fact, it was mostly because of COVID that shut down some of the filming there's a lot of kids involved in this, in this show. It's just, it's like a high school. Um, it's, it's an adult, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of high schoolers like later and they, they're all over 18, but you know, nobody wanted to get sick. They all were working actors. And so some of it got put on hold and we lost locations. Um, but yes, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty cool series. Okay. Well, hopefully it does all come back out and we look forward to seeing it. Yep, we're in post right now, so hopefully it'll be um, something to look forward to. 
It's in, it's a, it's a good story. <laughs> so if somebody listening to this is unfamiliar with your films, is there a particular film that you would go, you should watch this? I think that this one has what a lot of good stuff in it from you specifically. Okay, so here's the thing with that. I've only seen a couple of <laughs> I've only seen a couple of my films so far because a lot of I got to Hollywood right before the pandemic. And a lot of my stuff, I don't know if you if you have noticed that's that's all of the stuff has been filmed over like I'm busy. I have been so busy. Yes. But people don't want to release the things that I've done until people are getting back to the movie theaters. Like it's sort of like over in post, you know, and some of it isn't out. Some, some of the footage that I saw, I mean, Peter five, eight is probably going to be a really good one to watch. I've seen some of that getting filmed. I'm like, Oh, I can't wait to see this one. And but starlights on tour. Um, it's actually being released. It's a, it's a different kind of release. It's being released with a concert. It's a story about Neil Diamond. Um, okay. Yeah. So he's, there's a, there's a, you know, Neil's not working anymore. Um, he's yeah. retired. And so um, there's a guy that sounds and looks just like him that Neil endorses that is going around singing songs. I mean, if you love Neil Diamond, you're going to love this guy. His name is Jay White. And it's a story. It's it's an embellished story about some at some things that, you know, most rock stars go through, you know, rise, fall, and redemption. Um and that's that movie's actually opening with the concert series that's traveling around right now. So that's a good one. But a lot of the stuff I've done is coming out. It's like it's coming out. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even seen it yet, so I can't tell you. But I've worked I worked my butt off over COVID. Not not all the time. I mean there I mean being, you know, doing SAG movies over COVID has been hard because it's so much protocol. It take it takes a lot longer to film something like that. So, but I was busy all the time. So I'm 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 proud of that fact. But yeah, it's coming. It's coming. 2000, 2023, yay! <laughs> 2022, 2023. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm hoping that we will start start seeing these films soon because, like you say, uh, Peter Five Eight looks interesting. Um, I hadn't looked at Starlight, but uh, I think I'll be checking that one out because of the Neil Diamond thing. And I also find it quite interesting that you've done a lot of films during COVID because I know that some of the actors that uh, the listeners of this show will be more familiar with, such as like Scott Adkins and Dolph Lundgren, for example, they famously Scott had Adkins. to shut down. <gasps> <laughs> they they famously had to shut down um, the production of Castle Falls midway because yeah. COVID happened. And when you watch, because that film is out, but yeah. when you watch it, you can tell where that transition was because all yeah. of a sudden it's like there's no crowds there's only two actors ever on screen at the same time and they're always mysteriously on either side of the room from one another <laughs> and that's how and that's how it got done people people started there was this pause where we're like oh my god how are we going to do this and then people slowly started figuring it out which you know this is why we all all actors have set up like this now because everything happens in our home 
I mean, one of the guys that I'm doing a few movies for, it's their sequels and prequels for each other. Jason DiStefano, he is, he's CGI. He's such an amazing, he's a game. He put, he does stuff for Sony, you know, the PlayStation stuff, you know, he's, he does a really amazing CGI stuff. Um, but, um, he, it's, it's got more of a, a religious undertone to it. And his stuff is freaking amazing. I mean, he figured out how to have people film in whatever city that they were in and he puts it all together. So that nobody really has to worry about that. I mean, yes, we all have to come together in New York pretty soon and film different things where I play, you know, Serafina, which is the messenger of God. You know, I come in, I gotta, I'm going to have these huge, you know, it's going to, so I have to go film, but he's filmed the pieces of these different, these different projects in different cities, like separately, and then putting it together. I mean, some people have done brilliant things. They're doing brilliant things to, to, to work around this whole pandemic. Just to keep people safe and to, to to keep keep production going, all the filmmakers. I'm so proud of them for figuring this out and, and persevering to to get their stories out there. Yeah, no, I um, hats off to you and to anybody who still tried to film during this. Uh, and the fact that you said you know it's all under SAG is quite nice. There is a lot of protocol. It was very, very expensive for filmmakers to do anything during SAG. All of the protocols that they had to do, there was plastic up, there was things on your face. You look, it looked like hazmat, you know, going through everything. It looked like, you know, something from a movie behind the scenes to get things done. Did you, uh, did you have to get like, because uh, I remember uh, I was following the shooting of Legend of the White Dragon and they they had to stop production and do these massive queues of COVID tests like twice a day. Oh yeah, we. I, I mean, that's just part of life now. I I might have a COVID test twice a week, even when I'm not filming. Um, but on set, you you do you know a couple of days before you can't get through the gates until you do one right on the spot, and then when you get in there, you go straight. To, you know, you, there's like <laughs> straight to your trailer. You can't talk to anybody. You can't touch anything. And then before you come out of your trailer, you get another one, you know, there's like, you know, just to make sure that that little virus didn't pop up in the last 10 minutes, <laughs> you know, because. Yeah. And take out the entire cast and crew. <laughs> exactly. And then a lot of my stuff I've been filming has been outside. In tra like, I mean, I have, I've, I'm lucky I've had my own trailer a lot. But. <laughs> <laughs> the happiness with which you said that. Like, that's like an actress dream. I have my own trailer. <laughs> because, you know, a lot of the filming's been taking place outside because that's, you know, easier on people. So what's next for you, if you can say? Well, I have a couple things. Obviously, I have a lot of things coming out. They're post-production. It's just, you know, it keeps as long as COVID has been going on. Now people are starting to finish it up. So I'm thinking 2022, 2023 is when a lot of my things are going to come out. Um, I have a the CIA show where I, I'm not going to tell you the name of it, but I play that is coming out. I play a I play um, a witch coming up um, in a show that these are things that have already filmed but aren't out yet. Um, the one that is out is where I'm fencing and playing the fiddle. Um, Peter Five Eight, of course, is a thriller that's coming out um, probably. It was going to be the spring, but it's probably on slate for a little bit later now. So I've got, and I'm working on another show 
right now that I'm training very hard for martial arts. You're going to like it. <laughs> okay. I like this already. <laughs> um, I can't even, they, 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 they it's un, untitled. I don't even, they won't even tell us what it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, unfortunately, that's quite common these days because it's, it is leaks are. Yeah. Um, it, it, as much as I love the internet, it has made keeping secrets in films now impossible. It is. And I don't like to give away plot. You know, I won't, I won't, I sign NDAs. I I'm probably over safe on the things that <laughs> I say. <laughs> it, it's better to be over safe than, you know, do a, do a Tom Holland and give half the film away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, definitely don't want to do that. So I just, you know, I, I, um, I love things. I love surprises. I love surprises in films. I love when something comes out and I'm surprised by it. So I like to keep, you know, I love to keep people guessing and I love the tease. I love the marketing aspect of teasing people into something, even if it turns out to be crap. I still <laughs> the, getting up, getting up to it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. We, we all enjoyed being excited for it. Now we can all enjoy trashing it. That's, that's uh, seems to be a, a recurring theme. Yes. But a lot of my stuff coming up is um, I'm it's, it's, I've got to use some of my martial arts training. I'm really happy about that. I'm hoping that that is a continuing trend in my career. Um, at least as long as I can do it um, because that's what fuels me. That's what keeps me going. I love the people. I love the, the other stunt people. Oh my God. There's, there's so such interesting people. Every stunt person that I've ever spoken to or every person I've ever worked in the industry that is also into action stuff I can usually talk to for hours yourself included it would appear <laughs> <laughs> but I would love to sit down with Scott Atkins oh my god I mean oh, just, uh, yeah I think a lot of people would right oh my god well I'm I mean just sitting behind scenes you know when you're waiting in between the shots and it's like is that a movie or is that did that just happened to you like right now, I have some friends over in Thailand filming this movie, and I'm like, oh, "Where? What is that? What are you doing? I want to, you know, it gives you that fear of missing out. Like, I want to be there doing that. That looks like that's crazy. What are you eating? Oh, what is that? What are you eating? You know, like you, you see their behind the scenes and what they're doing could be an action film in itself. Some of yeah, these yeah. guys. The stories are great, though. Oh my god. Sit well, down and talk to a stunt person for a while. Not me, but like everybody else. Crazy stuff. That, hey, man, that's exactly what I want to do for anyone that wants to. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I, I've always said this, like, not so much these days, but when the internet and YouTube started to take off, you used to get a lot of stunt guys, a lot of behind the scenes people. They used to film scenes being filmed. And then they used to like put up little clips. They used to put up like their own behind the scenes stuff. Obviously nowadays you're not allowed to do that. Nope. Um, but I always remember thinking what they shot looked better than what was in the final film. Yep. And I, I could not, well, some of it's the editing, but some of it's just the fact that they're filming it in just a wide, you know, just a phone camera for sake of argument. So you could see everything. There's no shaky cam. There's no incessant close-ups on the faces. They're not using weird alternative takes. And it always frustrates me when you think, I know this is a good fight scene between good people. I want to see it. 
exactly. It's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, some of the, the behind the scenes stuff is always my favorite. And the stunt people, oh my God, like they do have some really great shots. And even when they're not filming, the stuff that they do on their off time is exciting. You know, like they can't, they're like me. They, they can't sit still. They, it's like, you know, like, don't, you shouldn't do that because what if you don't come back tomorrow? <laughs> you know, yeah. but they do, you know, it's just like some of, and they're, oh my God, I, you're, you, you fit, you, you found a good niche here, good niche because they need to have their stories told. And we need more people like you to tell their stories. I mean, myself included, I'm just don't have any super exciting things like they do. Cause I'm like straight lace adventure junkie here, but some yeah, of them, man. Oh. I, I, I'm I'm sure all of them have a story of them in S and M gear on stage with Madonna. That's that's totally normal. <laughs> that was her thing, though. You know, just vogue. We're voguing. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like everybody has a, a cool story, and everybody thinks their stories aren't cool until other people hear them, and it's like, no, your stories are cool. We like hearing them. Well. We all are storytellers, aren't we? But the real stories are always the best stories. I so thought you were going to say the real stories of the friends we made along the way then. <laughs> oh, well, yes, that too. But like some of like I sometimes I feel like some of the scripts that come out for the adventure are actually based on real stunt people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it does. Like feel some like of that the sometimes. stories they have, like the crazy stuff that happens to them that they get themselves into, I should say. Well, uh, I th I think we've taken up enough of your time, so thank you very much for joining us, Kelly. It was so nice to meet you, Scott. Seriously, I'm. It was a pleasure, and I love to. I love your that you're interested in this kind of thing, and I hope it's. I hope your show's super successful, and you talk to a lot more stunt people with a lot more interesting stories. <laughs> I don't think that last bit's going to happen, but uh, yeah, we can definitely get more people on and uh, I've loved having you on and it's been great. So feel free to uh, anytime shout at me with stuff you want to show off and I will happily do so. You're so sweet. And I promise to watch all of your shows because I got to get, <laughs> I, I want to see what you've been, I want to see what you've been up to. This is interesting. Well, we, yeah, you, you'll find some interesting things there. Um, I had a guy on the other day. And we were just talking about Indian cinema um, and trying to show that off to people because their action stuff, especially, it needs to be seen. And a That's lot of people, crazy. myself included, uh, dismissed it for a long time. And you can't, no, it needs to nope. be seen now. Nope, nope. I mean, I myself do Indian clubs, which is not action, but it's cool. It's like they have a physical culture that's crazy. And I, I, I want to learn more about it, actually, myself. So, yes, I'm going to watch that. Yeah, definitely listen to that episode because the guy I have on, he refuses to call himself an expert, which is probably for the best, but he knows a lot. There's so much knowledge in that episode. <laughs> I can't wait to I can't wait to listen to it, Scott. Seriously. Thank you again. And uh, I'm going to throw myself over to the outro for those listening. So uh, catch you later, guys. There you go, ladies and gentlemen, you have reached the end. That was the end of our recorded conversation. The actual conversation went on for substantially longer because, as I say, we were just having a blast, kind of just chatting, chatting away like two chatty Cathy's. And uh, I will happily have Kelly back when some of her stuff is out that we can actually talk about in more detail. 
free of fear of non-disclosure agreements, reigning over our heads, threatening to end our lives at but a moment's notice of a mere slip-up. I hope you guys enjoyed it. It is my intention to have more of these, and as time goes on, obviously the variety of guests will hopefully increase. I have a couple of other people in the works that I think you guys are going to really enjoy, but I want to give a huge shout-out and appreciation and my thanks to Kelly. As you heard in the interview, she had a very busy day, and her internet went down two or three times, but she, she kept coming back, and we got through it, and... I'm so happy and grateful to her for coming on because it was just such a joy and a pleasure to have a chat with her. So if you are unfamiliar with her, I would recommend keeping an eye out because I think she's got a lot of cool projects in the pipeline and go and check her out on IMDb. Like I said, a lot of her projects are not going to be easy to find at the moment, but I'm hoping as this year goes on, some of them will release and it will be much easier to see them. Some of them sound really cool, and I'm really excited to check some of them out. And I mean, this is the first American that I've ever spoken to that uh, comes to Scotland to play folk music in the Scottish Don't Riot. So regardless of what she says, she must be pretty good. And on that bombshell, guys, I'm going to end it here. If you want to follow Kelly on social media, I will leave it linked in the show notes. She's mostly active on Instagram. I don't really think she uses anything else, but the Instagram is definitely very much active and alert. My social media will also be down there. Any other links that you want to find for the Action Addicts podcast will also be down there, as well as previous episodes. If this is your first time here, hello, goodbye, and I hope you'll check out some more fantabulous stuff that we have to offer. But this is truly the end. Take care of yourselves, guys, and I will see you in the next one. On the Action